Hey, before we start this episode, we wanted to tell you about our upcoming virtual 5K. Are you sick of being cooped up inside for the past year? How about getting outside and also doing something to support Israel and the Jewish people? Join us for our first ever Bless Israel virtual 5K. We've put together a three-mile path that actually walks you through a route in Israel. You can walk or run the week of April 12th at your own pace and in your own timing. Join an international community of believers around the world committed to Israel. For more details, go to a Jew in GentileDiscuss.org. We celebrate the Passover Seder because we're remembering not only our deliverance from slavery in Egypt, but our deliverance from the slavery to sin and our reconciliation to God through the ultimate Passover lamb, who we know is Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Welcome to A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. I'm your co-host, Carly Berna. And I'm Ezra Benjamin. We're a Jew and a Gentile who both believe in Jesus and believe that there's value in looking at history as well as today's world and the headlines through both a Jewish and a Christian lens. Today we're going to talk about both of our favorite topics, which is food, but we're going to talk specifically about foods at Easter and at Passover. So let's discuss. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, go back and listen at some point. We talk more about the history of the holidays, Easter and Passover, some details that you probably haven't heard before. So go back and do that. But today we're going to talk specifically about the foods that are consumed in these holidays and if there's any meaning behind them or not. Well, Carly, let's jump in with Easter foods first. There's some kind of obvious things you'd expect to see, like I get it with Easter eggs, I think. The Easter egg hunt, not really clear on why we do that or what the egg represents. Maybe you can fill us in. But some of the other foods on the Easter table thoroughly confuse me. I'm thinking back, you know, friends of mine, super involved in the American evangelical community, the Christian community would serve things like a giant spiral ham. And there'd be eggs everywhere, lots of sweets. I remember like green jelly to go with the ham, lots of white cakes with coconut and pictures of bunnies everywhere. And then like the one that thoroughly confuses me, hot cross buns. Like what, first of all, what the heck? Second of all, are they any good? I don't know. What's the story? You got to fill me in. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I can answer all of those questions, but you know, as I mentioned last week, Lots of different denominations give up meat on Fridays. And I don't know if this is related, but I feel like Easter is just like a meat feast. They've been they've been holding out. And so now there's just a lot of meat. Like you mentioned, spiraled ham. I think more traditionally lamb, which usually represents the Passover lamb, lamb of God. I know when my family eats at Easter, we're not thinking about, oh, we're eating this specific food and it's related to this specific thing, which is interesting because as we talk about the Passover Seder, it's the absolute opposite. Each food has a, a very important meeting. And uh, like you mentioned, hot cross buns. So, you know, if you haven't seen these before, they're like, they kind of look like the Hawaiian rolls with crosses on the top, like glistening with butter, basically. You could say those represent Jesus's body. So the, the bread representing his body. Uh, you mentioned eggs, which often represents rebirth. I don't think Easter eggs specifically are tied to that, though I know we spent a lot of time as I was a kid, you know, boiling them, dyeing them, painting all sorts of different things on them. And then, of course, the most popular Easter food is just candy, all sorts of candy, chocolate Easter bunnies, you know, those little Robin's eggs, as you mentioned, the Cadbury eggs, 
all tied in with the Easter bunny and all lots of sugar to just, you know, basically give every kid some type of sugar high. And I know you mentioned that you celebrated Easter in some type of way because your parents were from a mixed marriage. So did you did you have any of those foods or was it just like you were watching Christians eat those things? Well, there was lots of watching Christians eat more sugar than I did growing up. Like I was the kid, all the Christian kids, you know, came to school with their Lunchables and their little ham slices. Ezra came to school with tuna in a pita and like a pickle. <laughs> That was and and anyway that that's another story. Again, this is this is not group therapy. This is a Jew and a Gentile discuss. So I'll hold those stories for another day. I'm sure it was a nutritious option, and I'm probably better for it. But it doesn't mean I'm not bitter. So anyway, Easter foods. You know, I remember like around March, April, right? This fantastic, highly highly high fructose corn syrup filled food coloring, endued item appeared on store shelves and it was none other than the Cadbury cream egg. And so my mom, not Jewish growing up, my father, Jewish, you know, so that was kind of one of our, if you will, our few Easter traditions that we did participate in steadily year after year is my mom would, you know, go down to the CVS and come home with a Cadbury cream egg, one for her, one for my brother and one for me. And we were only allowed, Carly, to eat like half of the cream egg per night because otherwise we would be off the rails on a sugar high and my brother and I would start like physically fighting. So half of a Cadbury cream egg per night during the days preceding and following uh, Easter. That was kind of the big the big Easter tradition. And I remember some Easter egg hunts. Uh, I remember going to Washington, D.C. actually growing up, and it was around Easter and Passover season, and the White House had an Easter egg hunt, and we tried to get in, and then they ran out of tickets right before we got there. It was very traumatic, but anyway, I remember that. So Easter eggs and Cadbury cream eggs are the Easter foods I remember. So that's really the the opposite of how it works for the Passover Seder, because like I said, you know, it's not like we're going out to brunch on Easter and making sure that we eat know, one piece of ham and one piece of this and one piece of that because it's so important. But the Passover Seder is very different. Tell us about the different types of food that's actually on Passover Seder plate and what they represent. Yeah, I think, you know, for Christians with Easter, right, all the food tastes great. So who cares what it means? On the other side of the fence, for the Jewish people, a lot of the food tastes weird and is disgusting. So we better know what it means to be able to justify why the heck we're putting this in our faces. So the Passover Seder, you have a number of things on what's called the Seder plate or kind of this tray. You know, some people have a very formal plate with the Hebrew names of everything. Other people just take a plate and make sure the items are on it and there's nothing fancy printed on the plate. But either way, you have a couple things that sort of either according to biblical commandment or more recent rabbinic Jewish tradition kind of, quote unquote, have to be on a Seder plate in order for a Seder to be a Seder. And one of those is the lamb bone or the lamb shank. And it's this roasted bone. You know, So you go to the butcher shop. If you don't keep one in your storage closet, you go to the butcher shop every year and you buy or you you know, are gifted because who wants to buy this thing? This big honking lamb shank, lamb bone. And you come home and you roast it and you boil all the meat off of it. And then you put it on the Seder plate. And this represents, again, this, this memory that uh, it took the death and the blood of a Passover lamb 
uh, over the doorposts of the houses of the children of Israel to cause the Lord to pass over, or Pesach, Passover in Hebrew, to pass over the Israelites' homes in Egypt when he came through to kill all the firstborn males in Egypt on the, on the first Passover, that night of Passover when the children of Israel were delivered from slavery in Egypt. So we remember that with the lamb bone. And then you have a roasted egg, which memorializes, you know, there's a lot of debate actually on why the heck is there an egg on the Seder plate because you don't really eat it. It's just there and you roast it. So it's kind of brown and black on the outside. And why do you do this? A lot of the rabbis say it's to remember the sacrificial system, you know, that you would roast animals flesh in the sacrificial system in the temple. Others say, no, 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 it's a symbol of mourning because when you would kind of enter mourning after a relative would die in the Jewish tradition, one of the things people would bring is an egg. And so it's like a symbol of mourning and you mourn the, the, the years of slavery in Egypt and you mourn the destruction of the temples, you know, the first and the second temples in Jewish history, destroyed uh, at first by the Babylonians with the first temple and then secondly by the Romans in 70 AD. So that's one of the another reason the egg is there. Others say, you know, an egg has no beginning and it has no end. So it's to remember uh, the endlessness of the story of the redemption of Israel and the endlessness of God in heaven. Who really knows? Anyway, there's an egg on the Seder plate. And then you have usually parsley, but it could be other kinds of what are known as bitter herbs. And you dip these in salt water and you actually eat. So picture like a six-year-old, right? A self-respecting, you know, generally good self-esteem, six-year-old Jewish boy or girl, okay, honey, dip the parsley in the salt water and then eat it. Like it's terrible unless you understand what it, what it, what it means. And so of course we need to, and what the parsley dipped in the salt water, the bitter herbs dipped in salt water remind us of is the bitterness and the saltiness like tears of the years of slavery in Egypt. And then along those lines, kind of this, the, the low point, unless you really like spicy food and you're a masochist or what, uh, in which case this is the high point. Um, but for most of us, the low point in the Passover Seder meal is what's called in Hebrew the maror, or um, the very bitter herbs. And it's typically, you know, you use uh, horseradish, as, as strong a horseradish as you can stand, and you grind this up or you buy it pre-ground in the store. Uh, and you put this on the plate and you take some matzah or unleavened bread and you dip it in as much horseradish as you can stand, and then a little bit more. It's like as much as is humanly acceptable, plus an eighth of a teaspoon more. And then you eat this, and of course, you start coughing, your face turns red, you're crying from the bitterness and the intensity of this horseradish, and it's to remember the shocking sadness and bitterness of being enslaved in Egypt, of these hundreds of years of slavery. And it certainly does remind you of shock and bitterness as you're choking. And it's like a tradition in my family's household uh, that you eat too much horseradish and then you cough and it's a whole scene and there's pieces of matzah flying out of your mouth and maybe your nose and you're going, should we call the paramedics? No, he brought it upon himself. He shouldn't have done that. Well, he does it every year. And anyway, not group therapy, the story of the Seder. So the horseradish, but right after the horseradish comes what many would consider to be the best part of the Seder, and it's what's called haroseth. And it's this delicious, depending on your tradition, whether you're from kind of a Moroccan, Portuguese, Spanish Jewish tradition, or whether you're from a Northern European Jewish tradition, or Iraqi, everybody makes it a little bit different. But this mixture of apples or pear or banana and honey and cardamom and wine and cinnamon and all these delicious spices. And this on kind of the the bad side, the 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 
solemn side reminds us of the bricks that we had to make with mud, like, right, the, the children of Egypt, the children of Israel in Egypt had to make bricks and they had to stomp in the mud and make these bricks for Pharaoh to build his pyramids during the time we were enslaved. But on the sweet side of it, because it's always sweet and kind of delightful to eat, you remember that the bitterness of slavery was replaced with the sweetness of freedom. So that's another food on the table. And that one's actually pleasant to eat. I love it. I always eat way too much and really then am not interested in the actual Seder, you know, the, the main courses. But, you know, what are you going to do? It happens once a year. Other things on the table, of course, is what's called the matzah, the unleavened bread. And matzah, like in Hebrew, lechem is bread, but matzah is specifically unleavened bread. So it's just basically flour and water. And that's to remember that we had to flee Egypt in such a hurry that we didn't have time to let the bread even rise overnight or even for a couple hours so we could bake normal bread. And so for a week, beginning on the night of Passover and then for seven days following that, Jewish people around the world are commanded actually to only eat, if you're going to eat bread, only eat bread made without yeast to remember that our flight from slavery to freedom was in haste. It happened quickly and we were sort of on the run. And so Passover in Hebrew, actually after the night of Passover, is this one-week period called Chag HaMatzot, or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And a lot of people say, well, we're, we're fasting from bread. This is, it's kind of like this common misconception in Judaism, Carly. It's a fast. You can't eat any bread made with yeast. True, but the word in Hebrew is actually Chag. It's a feast of unleavened bread. So yeah, you don't eat anything with yeast in it but you're commanded to feast on bread made without yeast. It's like the feast of our freedom is the idea. So matzah is called the bread of our affliction. Why? Well, a lot of us know that you see it in stores, you know, these kind of these cartons of this disgustingly dry cracker, which is kind of modern day matzah made in industrial facilities outside New York City or even in the land of Israel. And it sucks the water out of your mouth. It sucks the moisture out of your intestines, which leads to other problems we won't talk about on this podcast or our listeners would turn it off. But it's called the bread of our affliction. And the reason it's called that isn't because it tastes so bad, because it doesn't have to taste so bad. You can make decent bread made without yeast. But uh, the bread of our affliction is it's the bread remembering that we were enslaved in Egypt. It's called the bread of our affliction today because it's afflictingly poorly made, kind of by tradition also. But uh, anyway, those are the things that are on the table uh, during a Passover Seder. There's also these little like half moon shaped fruit gelatin slices. I don't, if you said, what does that have to do with Passover? I have no stinking clue. But every year you serve the gross gelatinous fruit slices dipped in sugar and even like to think about them to this day, since I was a kid, they make me want to toss my cookies. Anyway, fruit slices covered in sugar on the table every Seder. It's sort of the Passover tradition. And finally, another fun thing to eat is what's called matzah toffee. So basically you take a sheet of matzah, you dunk it in as much butter as the matzah will absorb, and then you coat it in melted chocolate. I mean, I would eat shards of glass if they were doused in butter and then coated in chocolate. So I'm not complaining on this. It's delicious. Another dessert that's a that's a Passover tradition. So is the Seder, like, uh, how important is it to, to the family? Like, when I think about Easter, uh, you know, if you live in the same town as your family, you'll get together. Sometimes people fly home. But it's not like Christmas where, like, you know, everyone try or Thanksgiving, everyone tries to come to their family's house. Like, just how important is it in the Jewish tradition. It is almost like Christmas Eve dinner, Carly. It's like it's the thing that you're going to fly for. I'm going home to see my family. Why? For Pesach, for the Seder. And 
it's not only kind of the tradition, right? Like Christmas Eve, people don't necessarily assign meaning to it. Maybe they don't even believe Jesus ever existed, but it's Christmas Eve dinner. But for Jewish people, the Passover meal is, is a tradition. Every family does it in their own traditional way, and it's actually a commandment. So if you have any sense of like, hmm, maybe God does exist, and maybe if he exists, he's written a book divinely inspired that obligates us as a people to certain commemorations, certain remembrances and things that we're supposed to do that are part of kind of being Jewish and passing that identity on to our children. If you believe any of that, you're going to be at the Passover Seder because it's this idea of, of this, this meal that the children of Israel aren't just suggested, they're commanded to eat. And it says in all your generations forever. So as I said in other podcast episodes, when God says forever, I believe he means forever. You know, a lot of people say, well, you're a believer in Jesus. True. Well, didn't Jesus abolish the Torah? Didn't he abolish the commandments? Well, I don't see that in the scriptures. I see Jesus saying pretty clearly to his disciples, until heaven and earth pass away, the smallest stroke of a pen in the Torah, in the law, isn't passing away. I haven't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. And so for Jewish believers, Carly, we celebrate the Passover Seder, not because we're trying to earn something with God, but because we're remembering not only our deliverance from slavery in Egypt, but our deliverance from the slavery to sin and our reconciliation to God through the ultimate Passover lamb, who we know is Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, like John the Baptist said. I would probably enjoy a meal where each food has some type of um, important meeting where for you, you might be thinking, okay, yeah, it's the Seder. Like we do this every year. Kind of like how I sometimes look at my Catholic background and I'm like, liturgy is not something I'm, I'm not that interested in. I'm so used to it growing up that way. So for someone who's a Christian who's like, huh, you know, I'm I'm interested in this Passover Seder. You know, how can I try this out? What would you encourage a Christian who's who's never been to a Passover Seder? You know, I, I believe for Jewish people, it's still an obligation, not a not a heaven or hell or a righteousness versus sinful identity in the eyes of God issue, but it's a commandment that we're to keep this meal and to remember who we are, what God's done for us, and what that means for us today, and to pass that identity to our children. For Christians, while it's not an obligation, there's certainly an invitation there. So I would say, if you've never done a Passover Seder, get get your hands on what's called a Passover Haggadah. You can find them online, and we also, Carly, you can share the details with our listeners, have a, have a great Haggadah that's available through one of our partner ministries for those who want to kind of familiarize themselves in a very accessible way with the Passover meal and how that foreshadows um, Jesus, the Messiah, fulfilling his identity as the Passover lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So I would say for Christians, if you have a Jewish friend, family member, coworker, extended family member, maybe be so bold as to invite yourself over to a Passover Seder and learn about it, hear the story. Maybe for you, it's the first time telling it. Maybe for the family who's doing it, they do it every year. They probably do, but it's a great opportunity to kind of participate. It's like this great object lesson in the context of a story and prayers and food in what God's done for the children of Israel. And as believers, you can remember, we can all remember what God's done for us in freeing us from slavery to sin. Attend a Passover, get your hands on a Passover Haggadah or kind of Passover 
manual, if you will, and and uh, try it out this year. Easter and Passover within a week of each other coincide this year, 2021. It doesn't happen every year, so it's a great opportunity to kind of uh, tie both together. Yeah, like Ezra mentioned, we have a Haggadah, and like he said, it's kind of a manual. It's not over as overwhelming as a manual sounds, though. You can get the link in the show notes, or if you're listening to this on the website, you can get it in the blog or you can go to the website, a Jew and a Gentile discuss.org slash Passover. And again, it's just a really simple way that explains how the Seder works, whether you go to someone's house or you host it yourself. It has kind of step-by-step instructions of what's said, what's prayed, etc. So hopefully, you know, you've, you've gotten some insight into Easter foods and Passover foods. And we've talked before about how food is basically at every Jewish holiday. So it's important to understand the meaning and a way for you to learn more about your Jewish roots. We've said this on other podcasts before, but just a reminder that this podcast is supported by donations. So if you like what you hear, go to our website. You can give one time or monthly. We also offer our Lost Tribes coffee that comes directly from Ethiopia, which is one of the countries that we make minister to Jewish people in. You can get it as often as you'd like. It's great coffee. We've said before, Ezra's a coffee addict and he loves it too, as you hear him slurping in the background of many of our episodes. So all that information is at a Jew and a Gentile discuss.org. We're also offering right now entry to win a free bag of that coffee. And you can enter to do that by texting JG to 474747. Each month we're drawing a winner for a free bag of coffee and we'll send it out to you. So thanks again for listening this week. If you want to hear more episodes, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love if you leave us a review. It helps us a lot. Share this podcast with someone you think may be interested in the content. You can follow us on social media. Engage with us there at the handle A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. You can also ask any questions or suggest any topics on social media or on our website. There's a form you can submit different questions. Again, thanks for listening this week and join us next week for another episode. The show is a production of Jewish Voice Ministries International.